Good morning. If we haven't met yet, my name is Linda Gilbert, and it is good to be here today with all of you. I don't know about you, but I'm enjoying the fall weather. The cool temps, the leaves are falling, the fireplace is back on at home, and the great smell of hot cider in the crock pot right now is at my house. I do live, love this time of year, and now being a grandma, I get to go to the pumpkin patch with my grandkids. The house is decorated for fall, and as I was looking around, I saw some decorations that my mom had when I was a little girl and kind of made me nostalgic. And then I was thinking about doing the teaching. And so it was like Bible study through the years. All of the teachers, the, the women Bible study teachers that I have sat under and just being out in the audience thinking I could never do that with a little bit of I would never do that thrown in. And now, um, I guess I shouldn't have said that because here I am. I don't know if I mentioned it before, but I'm an introvert. I am much more comfortable one-on-one -on -one talking to an extrovert because then I don't have to think about what I'm gonna say. I'll smile and say hi to anyone, but it's not easy to be up here and share personal things in, in this setting. And I think as, as women, it's really easy to sort of put up a mask or a wall that says, that hides how we really feel. We tend to look at other people and think, oh, they've got it all together, they don't struggle. Um, but now that I have a lot of years of life experience behind me, I can say that nobody has it all together. We all have our weaknesses, our insecurities and fears. The list goes on and on. But as believers, in our weakness, he is strong. 1 Corinthians 12:9 says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And God can use our struggles to help us grow in him and to encourage others who are struggling. So if you weren't here on Sunday, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to Liam's teaching. He covered a different passage, and yet there were a lot of similarities that Paul had to deal with. The false teaching, danger in his travels, his pastor's heart for people, and his obedience to be a servant of God. Honestly, I felt like he read some of my notes for today. He didn't, but you may hear the similarities. I share about weaknesses as a reminder to myself because as we've been studying and I've been preparing to teach for the last month, God has been, been pointing out some things in me and my attitudes that needed to change. It started the day that Angela released the, the schedule to the teaching team to choose their weeks. Somehow, I was late to the party. When I opened my email, just two hours after she sent it, every spot was taken except for today. You might think I would say, yay, look what I get to teach. But, oh no, the very first thought that came into my head was, what's wrong with this passage that nobody else picked it? <clears throat> it's embarrassing, blasphemy, straight from my head. So let me say first, that every part of God's holy word is truth, and there is nothing wrong with it. And back from my Sunday school days came the verse, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word flew like a missile to destroy the lie. The next thought in my head was, where did that thought come from? And I realized it was fear out of my sin nature that so easily came out. I was worried about the words or names I'd have to pronounce or that there would be something really controversial, and I didn't want to look bad. My focus was on me, but I came to see that God clearly gave me this passage 
because there are things he wanted to work out in me to make me more like Jesus. So before we go any further, let's pray. Lord, thank you for bringing us together today. I pray that you would calm my heart and my mind. Help us to set, this side, set aside this time from any distractions and keep our focus on you and your word. Let the words from my mouth be the exact words that you want for us to hear. Lord, I ask for your spirit to work in our hearts and our minds to keep us close to you. Bless our time together. Lord, we praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> this is our third week in chapter 15. Joan and Angela did a great job covering the beginning and the middle of the chapter, and they all tie together, so you'll see the overlap as we finish today. If you haven't er listened to the earlier portions, I'd encourage you to go back and listen online. So let's review from the beginning of the story. The Judaizers came from Jerusalem to Antioch and began teaching that the Gentiles needed to be circumcised and follow the laws of Moses in addition to believing in Jesus in order to be saved. Paul and Barnabas strenuously debated and disagreed with these men that by adding to the gospel, it was a false teaching that denied the finished work of Jesus on the cross. The Antioch believers were troubled. The question affected every Gentile believer. Did God now accept the Gentiles as Gentiles, or was it necessary that they first identify themselves as Jews by following the Mosaic laws and teachings, traditions? The Antioch church sent Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to take the matter before the Jerusalem leaders and elders for what we now call the Jerusalem Council. Once they arrived in Jerusalem, each group, including the Judaizers, got to speak. Peter reviewed his past, the vision of the animals, going to share the gospel with Cornelius and his family, and the Holy Spirit coming to the Gentiles there. <clears throat> Paul and Barnabas reported on the wonders God was doing in the present within the growing church. And then James related it to the future, quoting from the prophet Amos of the Old Testament, reminding them that the Gentiles would be saved and that the glorious future kingdom was ahead for Israel. The council concluded that the gospel is for all sinners. Jews and Gentiles alike are saved by their faith in Christ. They agreed that salvation is based not on what we do for God, but by believing and receiving what God has done for us. James advised the church to write a letter to guide the Gentiles, um, saying, abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. These commands all dealt with pagan practices associated with idolatry. Most of the Gentile con converts in Antioch were saved out of paganism. The Gentile believers were encouraged to turn from their old lifestyle to new life in Christ. This group of people went from debating each other to incredible unity. Each side agreed, agreed to yield for the sake of the other without compromising the truth of the gospel. Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch with the letter and they took Silas and Judas with them as witnesses of what happened. The Antioch church received them all with joy and were encouraged. Silas continued to stay in Antioch along with Paul and Barnabas, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. <clears throat> so our passage today starts in verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Paul had the heart of a pastor. He wanted to check on his people. They'd been to, in Antioch for about a year since the first missionary journey ended and it was time to get moving. Verse 37, 
Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Paul and Barnabas are mature men of faith. They're strong in the Lord. They've been through so much together. They've just come from a mountaintop experience at the Jerusalem Council and the, the joy of the new believers coming to faith. But here they can't come to an agreement as friends and partners in ministry. Luke is a bit vague describing the situation. This wasn't a doctrinal issue. It was about the team. Who would go? On Sunday, Liam read through 2 Corinthians 11 and all that Paul went through for the sake of the gospel. Shipwrecked, stoned and left for dead, beaten with rods, beaten with lashes. The list goes on and on with danger everywhere. Paul was not a safe traveling companion. I can't blame John Mark for leaving. I would have been too scared to go with them to begin with. Or maybe instead of fear, it was more of a personality issue. He could have been homesick. We just don't know. Barnabas was an encourager who wanted to help others. He wanted to give his, second, his cousin a second chance to serve the Lord and to prove himself. Barnabas kept insisting they take Mark. Paul remembers that John Mark deserted them. It was a mark of weakness, and the job ahead was important and demanding. They needed someone reliable. It's crucial to partner in ministry with people that you can trust. Paul was adamant that they not take Mark. Neither would bend on the issue, and the two men who were united by persecution and danger were now separated. Without realizing it, I found myself being judgmental as I read through this. I wanted to figure out who was wrong. Where do I point the blame? And once again, I had to get past my own flesh. I was with Pastor Doug and Janet at the time that I was mulling all this over. So it was great because I could ask him all my questions, pick up some ideas. Um, and he was so patient to not call me out for being judgmental. Um, but instead, he kindly redirected me by saying, perhaps Paul could have been more gracious toward Mark. Hmm, yeah, I think that applies to us as well. Janine in her devotional last time mentioned God's math. Well, we see it here again. Through division, God multiplies. It doesn't make sense. But God was at work to spread the gospel. And now we see how the rest of the story plays out. In the end, it didn't matter who was right. God used it to split one team into two, which made room for younger disciples to come along and be raised up in ministry. They were able to cover twice the ground, spread the word, and encourage and strengthen more churches. It's wonderful to see God working in our unity, as he did through the Jerusalem Council, but I am so grateful for the example that God can also use conflict and imperfect people to accomplish his purpose, as he did here. We're all different. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is based on love, not law. 1 Corinthians 12 reminds us that the body is made up of many members. So whether you're a foot, a hand, or an eyeball, our differences help make the body complete. Sometimes conflicts arise out of our different perspectives or our temperaments or because we just don't appreciate the unique differences among us. Perhaps we're not as gracious as we ought to be. A former pastor of mine used to frequently say, it's okay to disagree, but don't be disagreeable. It's a good reminder for us to be careful in how we respond to conflict. Before we move on, I keep bringing myself back to the basics of who, what, where. Luke is writing of the men and women in the early church who took the gospel to the remote corners of the known world. As the gospel message goes out, 
Paul is also hearing from the churches that have been started and sending letters back and forth. If we zoom out of our study in Acts and look at the whole of the New Testament, we see the correlation between Acts and the other New Testament books. I've been reading through the Bible in a year for quite a while now, but because this year we're studying Acts, as I was also reading through Galatians, I saw a passage that related to chapter 12. So my first slide is a timeline that's been so helpful for me to put things in perspective. So it shows you where we are in Acts. So the top line is actually the one I'm looking at right now. The event was the Jerusalem Council that happened. It has the dates, but don't get too hung up on that because there's a little differences depending on who you talk to. But it says, Galatians was written from Antioch before the Jerusalem Council occurred. So Galatians chapter two, 11 to 21, tells about Peter visiting Antioch and sharing meals with the Jews and the Gentiles until certain Jews came from Jerusalem. And at that time, he separated himself and Barnabas went with him and he only ate with the Jews. So Paul, not holding back, called them out publicly as hypocrites. Their response isn't recorded, but I have to believe they worked it out because clearly Paul and Barnabas went together to the Jerusalem council and Peter was the first one up saying that there's no distinction between Jew or Gentile. In seeing the two passages together, I can imagine how confused the people in the Antioch church would have been. No wonder they rejoiced when the group returned from Jerusalem with the letter and the witnesses to tell all that had happened. Going forward in Acts, we will see more crossover between the ministry journey and the letters going back and forth among the churches. Verse 39, Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. So my next slide is a map of their journey. This shows Paul's first and second missionary journey. There are four colors because it separates the outgoing travel from the inbound. And you can see where Barnabas and Mark headed to Cyprus, traveling by sea, following the direction of the first journey. Remember that Barnabas grew up in Cyprus. In leaving, he was heading to his hometown. And this is the last time we hear about Barnabas traveling. Paul mentions his name once in 1 Corinthians 9, but not again. Barnabas did do what he set out to do in encouraging and discipling John Mark. Paul clearly reconciles with Mark. He's mentioned in Colossians 4 as being a comfort to Paul. And again in 2 Timothy 4.11, get Mark and bring him with you for he's useful to me for the ministry. Verse 40, but Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Paul and Silas stayed long enough to receive the church's blessing as they were sent out. So, Back to the slide, you can see that Paul chose to go by land, visiting the churches, starting in the opposite direction of the first journey. It also took him through Tarsus, which was where he grew up. The distance from Syrian Antioch to Derby was about 240 miles. That's the same as going from here to Grants Pass. For us, less than a four-hour car ride. No big deal. But we forget that they walked everywhere. It was a significant journey. And the trip between the cities of Derby, Lystra, and Iconium was about 30 miles each, or like walking from here to Multnomah Falls. Chapter 16, Paul also came to Derbe and Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, a son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. 
So remember back to Acts 14, both the Gentiles and Jews tried to stone Paul in Iconium, so they fled to Lystra. The troublemakers followed them, but not right away. There was time for the people in Lystra to meet them, think that they were Greek gods, treat them differently, and when, when Paul and Barnabas said, we're not, and the people realized it, then they were upset, and they also joined with the troublemakers who had arrived and did stone Paul and leave him for dead. But he got back up, and he went on to Derby. So now they're headed back to the same cities that they were in before, continuing on out of a concern for the believers there. In Lystra, they meet Timothy. He was a very young man at this point, probably still in his teens. His mother was a Jew, and his father was Greek, so he wasn't circumcised. In Greek culture, the body was worshiped and even deified. In keeping with that tradition, the Greek athletes were presented uh, naked and competed naked for everyone to see. Circumcision would be considered disfiguring and revolting to them. We learn more about his mom's side in 2 Timothy 1.5. Eunice was Timothy's mom, and his grandmother Lois raised him in the faith. Timothy had a good reputation at his young age. His name means honoring God or honored by God. The books 1 and 2 Timothy were letters written by Paul to Timothy as he led the, Ephes the church in Ephesus. And Paul would later refer to Timothy as his spiritual son. Verse three, <clears throat> Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Okay, stop. What's happening here? We've just gone through this entire passage of you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to follow the Jewish tradition in order to be saved. In fact, in Galatians 2, Paul does not allow Titus, who is Greek, to be circumcised to reinforce that principle. So why change now? With Timothy, the reasoning is different. His mother is Jewish, so the Jews would consider him an apostate Jew, someone who rejected the Jewish faith because he wasn't circumcised. Paul knew that the Jews there would not listen to anything he said and would be offended by Timothy's presence. So in this case, out of love and a desire not to cause a stumbling block for the unbelieving Jews, Paul asked Timothy to be circumcised and he agrees. Now they can move forward and speak without offending. Paul's heart is to bring people to Jesus. When it came to convictions related to salvation, he did not back down. But when the issue was not an essential, he was willing to set things aside for the sake of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23, Paul talks about being all things to all men. So to the Jews, he spoke from the perspective that Jews would understand, and similarly with Gentiles, he spoke of things that made sense to them. He wasn't being phony. It wasn't acting one way on Sunday, and in a different way on Monday. It was a real and caring way that he presented the gospel so that they would be able to hear and understand and respond. To put it in practical terms, when missionaries leave here and go out to the field, they also present themselves in a way that makes them acceptable to be heard. In Israel, there are places where men have to wear hats or cover their heads in order to enter. And the same for women. In Israel and Africa, women wear longer skirts and a scarf or um, a head covering of some kind over their shoulders or heads in certain places. If you're eating with kosher Jews, you don't serve a meal of meat and dairy together. There's no butter on your dinner roll. Don't invite your vegetarian neighbor over and put meat on their plate. 
Christians should be known by their love, not their lunches. We should be willing to set aside our right to do something out of love for someone else. If we are careless or uncaring with what others value, we can talk, but no one will listen to our message. Verse four. Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. So that same letter um, and message that came from the Jerusalem Council to Antioch was now being carried to the churches beyond, affirming the faith of the Gentiles, salvations by grace. The Holy Spirit was working in and through the believers, resulting in the churches growing in their faith and in number. What an exciting report they had to give as they traveled from city to city. Our study in Acts has been so rich. We want God's word in our heads and our hearts to let it transform us through the power of the Holy Spirit for change to happen in us. It can't just stop at head knowledge. It has to hit our hearts for the change to happen. So I encourage you in your study, don't skip past the application questions. And don't limit yourself to the questions written. God meets us where we are. Is God asking something of you? Write it down and pray about how the Holy Spirit is nudging you. James 1.22 encourages us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We've seen it today in our passage. Nothing can stop the gospel from going out. God's plan involves us if we're willing to humble ourselves and follow him just as Paul did. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14 sums up what we can do in light of what we've learned this chapter. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do all things in love. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for sending your son and extending your incredible grace to us. Thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Help us to apply what you teach us and make us more like you and less like our flesh. Help us to love the way that you love. We give you all the praise and the glory because you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.